Welcome to the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Sanders, physical therapist, and together I hope we can explore the best ways to stay fit, healthy, and active as busy adults. We all have a lot on our plate. So what is the most efficient way to exercise, eat, sleep, and train in order to continue to do the activities we love well into our future? I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hey guys, today I want to talk a little bit about why muscles get tight. And it's a really interesting thing. I mean, we all have muscle knots and we know they're painful and annoying and, and some of us even name them. You know, the, uh, <laughs> some of those names are a little vulgar. Um, but why do they happen? You know, where do they come from? And then what can we do to get rid of them? And so uh, let's talk a little bit about why those muscle knots might be there and then maybe some strategies to, to get those things to go away depending on, on the reason, obviously. So there are a couple reasons the muscles might be tight. And, you know, I do think that genetically some people are just tighter than others, right? Whether it's a connective tissue thing or a genetic thing. I mean, you see people that are super hypermobile. They can bend all over the place. You're contortionist, if you will. Um, that certainly exists. So I do think there's a scenario where, where genetically you're just tighter or looser than somebody else. And, and maybe those tendencies tend to be a little higher. Um, so that's an option. And ultimately, there's not much we can do about that one. But what even, what's even interesting in that scenario is you may find somebody that ligamentously is, is very hypermobile. Your, your dancers, your yogis, your, your people that can bend all over the place. But they still end up with muscle knots, right? As that muscle is, is trying to do things and protect loose joints and, and do some other things. So I, I really don't think that the genetics is that big of a culprit. Um, it's a piece. It's a part of the puzzle. It's something to think about. But I really don't think that it's the main reason most of us are experiencing muscle knots and tightness. So then the next question is, you know, why does that muscle just all of a sudden one day decide to be mad and, and pissed off at you? And, and where does that where does that actually come from? And, you know, most of the time, I don't think the muscle just decided one day to be annoying, right? It's not, uh, it's not some little, little kid that's trying to pick on you, right? It's, it's just, where does it come from? And, and I think there's a couple of scenarios that, that we want to look at. And the first is, you know, trying to protect something. Um, if the brain feels it needs to protect an area, it's going to tighten the muscle in that area to create a brace or a splint of sorts. And it's, it's just a nice protective mechanism. Um, and I think that's one of the knots that we see the most often. And so, you know, what ends up happening is you feel that knot and you just try to smash the heck out of it where it's at. And, um, it just gets more sore, right? You, you kind of get that, I don't know, kind of short term pain relief of kind of that feeling of the pressure. Um, but the pain never actually goes away. It doesn't, doesn't work so to speak. And, and so, you know, you hear people say all the time, well, foam rolling doesn't work and doing this kind of tissue work doesn't work because of that scenario. And uh, it's not the case in my opinion. You just use the wrong technique at the wrong time. If that muscle's tight because it's protecting something, then, you know, working on that muscle is only going to go so far. You need to figure out what it's trying to protect. And getting to that next layer of assessment uh, is really the, the goal. It, you know, yeah, the muscle's tight. Cool. Why is it tight? And if we can figure out why it's tight, then, then we're getting somewhere. And so some of the possible reasons you may find a muscle that's tight, um, one of the ones I think is, is common is protecting a nerve. So 
if something happens, the nerves, the nerves are the power line of the body, right? They control everything. They're sending electrical signals to the muscle. They're relaying sensory and pain information back to the brain. They are literally the, the, the power lines to the house, right? Like if they don't work, nothing's going to work. So your brain is going to protect those power lines at all costs. It's a, it's a high priority safety mechanism, right? Protecting the nerve is a high priority uh, thing. So if there's tension on that nerve, whether it's irritation locally around the nerve sheath, where it's going through the muscles or where it's going through different grooves, where it's irritation, where it's coming out of the spine, any of those situations, your brain is going to tighten that muscle around the nerve to protect it, right? Muscles protect nerves. And so you can try to stretch that muscle and work on that muscle all you want, but if you don't take the pressure off of that nerve, what's irritating that nerve, you're just not going to get there. And so in that level of assessment, we need to do we need to figure out where along that nerve pathway that irritation, that compression, or wherever that might be is coming from. Because if we can address that, then that muscle tone's just gonna go away, right? And so nerve protection is one of the key reasons that I think we see muscle tone. And probably one of the ones I, I see the most often in clinic, especially things that just don't go away on their own, right? Like little naggy tightnesses, they just disappear so they don't end up in my office. Um, but the nerve tension ones, the, they're the ones where, you know, you putting the hypervolt right on the spot isn't working and, and we got to go a little further uh, with our assessment and decision making on where we want to go. So nerve tension is definitely one of those. Protecting the nerve is definitely one of those reasons I think we see muscle knots. Another reason that we may find muscle knots, I think, are just postural and, and repetitive motion type things. So because you're in a position often, your brain wants to be good at it. And so you've kind of made this decision that I need to do this a lot and you're going to adapt to be able to do it a lot. And so if you're going to sit with a forward head all the time, the traps are going to get tight to increase that tone and protect that area. And it's going to put connective tissue down and some of those other things to try to make that area stiffer, to make that act of sitting easier to do. And so I think when we do something often, we start to see tone related to that pattern that we're, that we're using all the time. And so in that scenario, you know, the, the, the scenario is kind of similar to what we just talked about with the nerve protection. You can release that knot, but if you don't fix or alter that sustained position or at least uh, create the ability to move the other direction, well, it's going to come back, right? I mean, if you use that pattern all the time, you can release it, but it's definitely coming back. So again, second layer to assessment, what's causing that muscle knot, if it's a positional uh, repetitive motion, a postural type of a thing, we got to figure out where where that is happening and what we can do to undo that. And for some things like seated postures, uh, I think, you know, something as simple as moving early in the morning and, and maybe some intermittent breaks throughout the day may be enough to unglue some of that. I mean, honestly, as long as you're asking the body to move the other direction as well, it's going to have, it's going to want you to have the ability to do that. If all you ask your, your body to do is sit, well, it's going to get good at sitting, right? And so the outside of your hips, the calves, the hamstrings, uh, the back, those areas are going to get tight because that's what you're doing the most of. That's what you're going to get good at. But if you also ask it to do extension and range of motion in the other direction, well, now those adaptations aren't going to occur as quickly and, and hopefully we can reverse and, and unglue some of that stuff if... Uh, assuming we haven't had actual bony adaptation and, and some other things that may came along with long-term positional things. Um, so in the short term, at least, those are, those are pretty easy things to unglue. And in addition to releasing the knot, you got to work on those postural things. And I, I personally believe that in that situation, there is still a high value um, to being able to release that knot 
using the hypervolt, using cups, needles, foam rolling, whatever you want to do, there's still high value to release that because it's going to enable you to get into those new positions, right? If you're so locked into one posture, that forward seated posture, and, and that tone is very high in that position, well, it's really hard to even get it to go the other way. And you can try to exercise it, but if that pattern is already in, engaged, if you're already in that, let's just use forward, head, forward, shoulder position. If you're already in that position and you ask it to go backwards, yeah, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, right? It depends how locked in that pattern is. So a lot of times we can use a manual therapy technique or a self, uh, self-release self t- style technique, um, whether it's a lacrosse ball or, or one of the hyper-ice vibration things or cups or whatever you have at home, we can use those to kind of temporarily offset that cycle. And then once that cycle is temporarily offset, now we can go ahead and train that new position and exercise in that new position so that we create adaptation. Uh, we create enough stress in the other direction so that we get adaptation in the other direction that now that pattern doesn't hold and, and we can move in and out of those seated postures um, to be able to do some of the other things we want. And, and ultimately, I really think that's the key is uh, to be able to use multiple positions, not just one all the time. And, and if we can use release you know, techniques um, to, to do that, then, then fantastic, right? It just it creates an opportunity for change. And that, that's really what we're looking for is that new input um, to allow us to create some change. So I do, I do think that's an important, uh, an important thing. Um, and, and again, one of the, the second kind of idea of sustained postures or repetitive motions, doing the same thing all the time. I think that's another reason where we can get muscle knots. Um, in addition to just protecting the nerves as a third one, I would, I would kind of just lump in protecting injuries. Um, we mentioned protecting neural tension, but any kind of injury, um, ankle sprains, uh, you, you tweak a muscle, um, you put some tension in an area where you're not used to putting tension or, or force or stretch that you're not used to, and you may get some recoil tightness as a, as a means of just protecting that injury. Um, and, and you see that splinting, that guarding, that almost crampy, cramping-like feeling. Um, you tweak a knee or an elbow or, or whatever, you may see some guarding along that pathway. So um, tissue trauma may create some splinting uh, around that area, which kind of leads me into my last one that I want to talk about, which is um, sympathetic nervous system tone. So our nervous system is divided into, your autonomic nervous system is divided into two things, your your parasympathetic and your sympathetics. And and autonomic just means it's happening in the background. Think automatic, right? It's it's just running. Sympathetic, of course, is your fight and flight. Parasympathetic is your rest and digest. So when you have an injury or you have a pain in an area, it's going to activate some of that fight or flight mode, that sympathetic activation. And now we're going to see an increase in tone and guarding in that area. And so I think locally... Part of that protective mechanism may be an autonomic nervous system function of increased sympathetic activity in that area. Now, the consequences of increased sympathetic activity in that area, we're going to get increased muscle tone, which becomes a a protective brace splint or whatever you want to say around that joint, becomes a, a mechanical protection barrier like a brace. But the, the, the downside to that, right, it's all our body's going to do short-term protective goals. The long-term downside protective effect of that is when I squeeze that muscle tight enough, I block some of the vessels, right? I'm like squeezing the garden hoses and now I can't get blood into the area, which is where my immune system is going to function to get uh, nutrients and oxygen and all those things I need to, to, to fix the injury. I'm not going to be able to get those in as well. And some of the veins and the, the vascular, um, the venous structures, as well as the lymphatic structures that are going to clear some of that waste product out from the injury, they're going to be compressed as well and may not function as, as, as well. So 
The problem with that increased sympathetic tone in that guarding long term is that it may block some of the ability to oxygenate and, and supply nutrients to an area. And so part of what we need to do is, is create at least enough relaxation around that area to be able to supply oxygen and, and uh, nutrients to that area so that the tissue can heal and we get inflammation out. Now, this is theoretical. This is just kind of me rambling. Um, but I do think that's part of when we're trying to make sure we get an area to heal, we, we need that to happen. It's also why I think we need movement after an injury, right? So often we, you know, let's say we roll our ankle, we just want to protect it, you know, as much as we can. But the problem with not moving is that we lose that pump. We lose that vascular pump of squeezing those, those pipes, if you will, squeezing those hoses, if you will, that's going to help us move that fluid in and out, that fluid exchange of bringing healing tissue into the area as well as clearing waste out. And so... Yes, we need to protect the area, but it's a relative protection, right? I need to protect it enough that the injury is not going to progress, but I can't, you know, due to fear or whatever, I can't protect it so much um, that I hamper the healing process. I hamper the ability to get uh, blood flow and nutrients in and out of that area. Um, so I think it's it's kind of a, a catch-22 of protecting versus making sure that we're able to, to keep the tissue moving enough that, that it can heal. And, uh, and I think that plays. The fear of that injury is also part of this whole equation, right? Because, you know, fight or flight mode, it's an anxiety type of a thing, right? We're getting into fight mode. So if that injury is significant enough that, you know, I start to get nervous about it, I'm uh, worried it's never going to go away. I'm worried how it's going to affect my job, my ability to, to uh, uh, participate with my family and my kids or do an activity that I, that I like doing. If that fear starts to set in that, oh, what if I'm never able to do these things again? Well, now all of a sudden that sympathetic, that fight or flight mode is now even higher. And with that being even higher, we get more tone, we get more guarding and, and locally in that area, I think, but also throughout the body. Um, so it becomes a very interesting uh, dilemma of the emotional uh, components of that pain and making sure that we understand, you know, what the injury actually is. We don't get too far down those rabbit holes to where we snowball and go, oh, my God, I rolled my ankle. Now I'm not going to be able to go work. Now I'm not going to be able to uh, collect a paycheck. Now I'm not going to be able to, you know, do my mortgage. And now this, you know, I'm going to be homeless. Uh, and it, it's just funny how quick those things go Uh down those rabbit holes sometimes. But as soon as you start doing that, that's going to increase that sympathetic activation, which is going to increase the fight or flight mode, increase the tone, increase the guarding, reduce the blood supply to the area. Hey, it's a, it's an interesting little cycle there. And and again, um, this is just kind of me talking in in theory, but, um, I think there's, I think there's definitely, there's definitely evidence of increased sympathetic activation around pain in injured areas. Uh, and the emotional thing, increasing sympathetic tone, I think it just kind of theoretically makes some sense and at least worth consideration when we, when we talk about injuries and we talk about trying to get out of pain and get rid of those muscle knots. Um, so from an injury, we can end an increased sympathetic tone. But when we say things like stress increases my pain, well, now we got to think about that as well, right? Because if stress increases sympathetic activity and I'm always in the sympathetic fight or flight mode, well, now all of a sudden I got increased tone, increased tone, decreased oxygenation, tissue tightness, tissue pain, all those things that come along with, with decreased blood flow and, and changes in the blood chemistry. And so we can have this overall state of sympathetic activation that may in fact increase some of the tone, which may decrease blood flow, increase, decrease nutrients to the tissue, increase some of the guarding. Uh, I think you're starting to get the idea. Um, and so not only do we need to reduce that tone and we can use manual therapy techniques, of course, I love those things, 
Um, but we also need to figure out how to reduce that sympathetic state. So maybe that's uh, just understanding of what the injury is and, and trying to um, kind of work our way through that. Uh, maybe we need to do things that reduce sympathetic tone, deep breathing activities, yoga, meditation. Um, you know, you see people talking about all kinds of different things as far as um, uh, breathing drills and uh, ice baths and, you know, different things that just try to help us get in and out of these different autonomic states. Um, and I think there's some validity to that and something that we definitely need to, to spend some time on um, thinking about how do we affect sympathetic tone locally where that injury may have occurred because that's going to increase tone and that tightness, but also throughout the body and, and looking at different strategies to kind of calm the system overall uh, both emotionally and, and as well as, you know, looking at breathing patterns in the vagus nerve and uh, uh, just some other ways to, to try to reduce overall tension and tone uh, that may help things feel better in addition to just looking at a singular knot and smashing the heck out of that singular knot. So uh, a lot of rambling there. I hope that helps you understand a little bit about kind of uh, our thought process, my thought process and what we do at Fit for Function when we say, Hey, if somebody's got a muscle knot, where's that thing coming from? And certainly we know that treating the local area is effective and it can be very effective in, in certain scenarios. But we also need to look at the depth of those layers of the assessment and figure out, okay, are we trying to protect the nerve? Is there a sustained posture position that we need to, to make adjustments to or, or train the opposite patterns? Um, is there a injury that we're trying to protect or is there something going on with the sympathetic nervous system locally or, or as a whole that we need to address? And then once we're able to figure out that layer of assessment, well, now all of a sudden we can, we can change our, our plan of attack into getting past just treating that local area, but also making decisions uh, based on those other findings of, of where we need to go with some of the other things we're doing to, to help get rid of that muscle knot and uh, hopefully get that pain out of there. So as you can probably imagine, working out that puzzle is, is a fun game, but it can also be challenging. And, uh, you know, when you've been dealing with different patterns for a long time or different stressors for a long time, um, it can be hard to, to deal with and, and, uh, it requires some real, real adjustment and real change sometimes. So not always the easiest thing, right? It's certainly a lot easier decision-wise to just say, oh, you got a knot there? Here, let's push on it and smash it. And um, we'll do those things. But we also need to figure out why is that not there and take that, that layer of assessment one level deeper um, to see if we can get us from A to B. So there's my uh, quick, not-so-quick understanding of muscle knots. Uh, muscle tone, muscle tension, and, and hopefully helping to make some decisions on maybe thinking about why that knot might be there versus just treating the local area. So thanks guys for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. If you need anything or have any questions, we do offer free phone consults at fitforfunction.com. So if you have a specific issue that you want to talk about, uh, we'd be happy to talk with you there. Um, give us a call, shoot us a text, visit fitforfunction.com and uh, we'll go from there. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Thank you for enjoying the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. Hope you're able to pick up a few things to help you live and move better. We'd really appreciate a like, share, review, or follow in order to help us continue to grow this podcast and help more people like you looking to feel and move better as active adults. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.